do me a favour, if you are listening, please hit the subscribe button, like, share, rate, review the podcast. It really means more than you realise. I believe every business owner has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films. I've worked in kitchens where there has been abuse, there has been, you know, banter, borderline bullying. Um, but it, it, the industry's worked very, very hard in the last couple of years to change that, and it is changing and it's getting better. Well, I think it all comes down to passion. I think if you enjoy what you do, mm. then actually when you work, it doesn't feel like work. So you don't mind putting in hours if you actually love what you're doing. Burnout is definitely a real thing. You know, that's something the industry needs to be very, very care- careful of. And that's why it has got better. Um, you know, burnout is definitely very real in, in hospitality and in business. The realisation of getting that chunk of money, you know, a fair chunk of money over six figures and, and it hit your account and you're like, well, it literally made no difference. To me. As far as I, I think as entrepreneurs, we always have this thing of, right, what's next? What's next? You can't always appreciate what what's there. The reality is, mate, we are heading into a massive crisis. You know, the crisis is way bigger than coronavirus, which is childhood obesity. The stats are scary. You know, one in three children now leave primary school over overweight or obese. We spend more on treating Stay obesity on the NHS than we do the police, fire and judicial system combined. Just be true to yourself. Spend time with the people you want to spend time with and, and just smile and learn and always be inquisitive. Okay, welcome to another episode of the County Business Talks podcast. My guest this week is new practice development manager at WPA Healthcare Practice PLC and co-founder and trustee at Table Talk Foundation. In 2015 and 2016, he was a finalist for the British Franchisee of the Year Awards two years running, which put him in the top 15 franchise owners in the UK, where there are circa 45,000 franchise owners, including brands like McDonald's, Vodafone, Subway, Dynavod, to just name a few. He's someone with a positive mindset, extremely strong work ethic, and what he's achieved in business and now the charity sector is truly inspiring. He's someone I'm lo- also lucky enough to, to call a close friend and delighted to welcome Dan Wade to the podcast. Oh, thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. And, um, loving what you're doing. Absolutely mate. love it. Awesome. Listen, it's great to have you on, mate. I know that we've known each other for a few years on the networking scene and got yeah. to become good friends as well. And it's been brilliant to see, obviously, what you've achieved and stuff. And look, just buzzing to have you on and, and have a chat about it. So, mate, look, we're going to d- jump straight in. Just tell yeah. the listeners a little bit about you and your story. Yeah, well, pretty... Um Pretty standard story, really. Sussex born and bred, so I live in a, a little village called Ringmer, born and bred there. Um, great upbringing, so, but not entrepreneurial at all. Um, my dad was very much, yeah, go to university, get a good job. He's from that era where he was a council house kid, did well. Yeah. Um, my mum was self-employed, but more of a housewife. Um, yeah, so living in Ringmer all my life. Got two, two kids myself and a wife who love, you know, that's kind yeah, of yeah. very much focused on my attention as best possible. I think we're going to touch upon that later <laughs> yeah. about the work-life balance. Um, loved my sport, played rugby since the age of four, so I was captain of Lewis Rugby Club for a few years, um, but played first team there since the age of 17. 
in terms of work side of things, um, started working young. So I think like most kids, I didn't do the paper round, but I worked in the uh, local village bakery, worked in the pub washing up, um, started work young, and then sort of fell into hospitality. Left that, as a lot of people do, and then, um, yeah, go into so sort of running your own business, which is quite a big jump. But mm. um, it was quite lucky in the franchise world, you know, that's the whole purpose of a franchise, which I own now with WPA. Mm. I'm a franchise owner, um, and it gives you a structure, but you're allowed to work for yourself. So mm. all in all, pretty standard upbringing, um, lovely part of the world to live in, but yeah, just um, now focus is, is very much work-life balance, as we've just been chatting yeah, off, yeah. off air. It's interesting, because uh, with a franchise, obviously I'm at the salon, which was yeah. part of the Tony Guy franchise as well, and it is like, as a way of certainly someone starting a business i know you're a massive mm. advocate for it, obviously because you've yeah. been very successful in it but just seeing how that goes you have that structure at the start and it's it really that support network is, is massive isn't it yeah i think franchising often gets quite a bad rep mm. um it's you know the good franchisors it, it's a partnership right it, it has to work for the franchise owners so the franchise are franchisors want to support you and invest in you to make it work yeah. so always always felt a bit of a fraud really with a franchise because it's like what so i'm going to buy a buy into a business model where they tell you what to do give you all the support to run your business and as long as you kind of do what they say you'll be successful so i always felt a bit of a fraud with that but you know wpa is a brilliant franchise organization mm. um, brilliant insurance company being around since 1901 but the support they put in to us as franchise owners i've not seen it on the franchise circuit elsewhere yeah. And then, yeah, in 2015, I took over the role of new practice development manager. So I now am responsible for recruiting and training all the new franchise owners. Um, and we implemented a mentor period. So we assigned a new franchise owner a mentor for two years. So I oversee that program as well. Mm, amazing. And you, when, when, when you started your fair, because you were quite young still as a, mm. as a franchisee, when, when did you, how old were you when you started? So I bought the franchise when I was 19. Um, So I started working for my father-in-law, who owned the Brighton franchise, actually, Derek Smith. Um, I started working for him when I was 18. So I guess kind of skipping back, really, I I left school, always knew I wanted to be a chef. That was kind of my goal, really. I always wanted to... Was that from working in a bakery? Did that come from that? No, I think even before that, to be honest. I just loved... My mum was an amazing cook, so we we cook a lot at home. Used to watch her a lot, so I loved cooking, and it's... (laughs) Um, quite funny in terms of what kind of made it a career choice was when Jamie Oliver came on the scene yeah. because it was almost like it made cooking cool. Like yeah. before then, I was like a closet cook, so it's like coming out, <laughs> coming out <laughs> the wall. I love it a little bit. We're saying, Hi, oh, I love to cook, and um, it made it cool to cook. So I was cooking a lot at home, loved it, and then Jamie came on and actually showed that it can be a great career. And you know, I, I owe a lot to hospitality and, and loved absolutely loved working as a chef. Um, did it, you know, catering college. Worked in London for a little bit. Worked in some really good good restaurants. Um, but yeah, learned a hell of a lot in the kitchens. Yeah, t- talk to me a little bit about that. Because obviously, like, especially, if there's a little bit of a narrative about it's quite a toxic mm. environment being in the kitchens. But talk, so talk to me, because you, you would have been, what, then, 16, so yeah, 16 so 17, going into... Yeah, I mean, I started young in, in kitchens. So there was times at school, even when I was at school, I used to go to work in the bakery before. Yeah before school, um, go to school and then go and wash up in the pub in the evening. So I've always been around that, and the, the bakery in particular is actually owned by my godparents, um, Jack and Jill's Bakery in Ringma. so <laughs> big shout out to those <laughs> guys. Nice, nice. But, um, but yeah, it's owned by my godparents, but Jack had this unbelievable work ethic. 
like he worked so hard and his precision and what he did you know everything was made from scratch and you know to be around i, I was there jamming the donuts icing the cakes mm-hmm. um but yeah five till sort of seven thirty most mornings but you used to absolutely love it and you see how they work and how they run a small business but the narrative is is okay historically is correct you know it's brutal place to to work but it's no different to being in a in a sports team i think in a rugby team where you're all pushing or a football team where you're pushing to succeed you know kitchen's high pressure right you've Mm -hmm. got a lot of people waiting for their food um timings are so important in the kitchen if you get your timings wrong it knocks everyone out in the kitchen um so there's a lot of pressure there's no time for politeness you know, hi Dan, please can you recook that one again? You just don't <laughs> have time for that. It's um yeah, it is highly pressured. But I think it's changed and I think the narrative is probably worse than what actually happened. Um yeah. I was fortunate enough to do in the industry what's called a stage, um essentially work experience, but at one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants, so at the Connaught mm-hmm. in Mayfair at the time. So Angela Hart and it was my head chef at the time and yeah, that was always kind of my goal, um, was to go and work for Gordon Ramsay. Because at the time, he was, you know, he only had, I think, five or six restaurants. So he was still very much in his in his prime then. Mm-hmm. And it was always a goal of mine. And it wasn't like you see on telly at all. It was very, Angela ran a very calm kitchen, very chilled. Mm-hmm. She's really, really laid back. Um, I just remember thinking, you know, that's not what you see in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I've worked in kitchens where there has been abuse, there has been, you know, banter, borderline bullying. Um but it, uh, the, it, the industry's worked very, very hard in the last couple of years to change it, and it is changing, and it's getting better. So, but w- was was there any was there any experiences that you had like where, especially, but I guess, like, like you said, alluding to, you was obviously quite young at that mm. stage. But th- I guess a couple of things actually I'll be interested. W- did the sport that you played, playing rugby and being involved in that, did that help with that sort of banter and that yeah. that, that thing in, in in the in the kitchen? Yeah, they're definitely. very similar. Definitely, I think is. It's working as part of a team, and in the kitchen, you know, I was working anywhere from 80 to 100 hours a week, so it was brutal, and you're on your feet all day, you're lifting stuff, it's very hot, um, so the environment is tough, it is a tough environment, so you kind of have to rely on your teammates or your, your other chefs to, to kind of get you through, and when I first got my first job as a chef in a restaurant in Lewis called The Long Room, which is no longer there, you know, we had a brilliant team, so we opened that restaurant, we were flat out, breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, you know, we were flat out every single day doing five, five and a half days a week. So you do rely on your teammates to get, to get you through. But there are times when, you know, someone's tired or they haven't had a great day or something's going wrong and, and pressure's build up and, yeah, it, someone might snap. And But it's I think often it's how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was occasions when things didn't go right. I got stuff wrong or other chefs got stuff wrong and sometimes you take the blame. But, again, you learn a hell of a lot. You learn to own up to, to your mistakes. You learn how to overcome them. You learn how to how to just get your head down and work. You know, you learn how to be part of a team. You learn how to communicate. Mm. All this stuff I learned in, in the kitchen, I took into the franchise. And that is, I'm 100% certain that's why the franchise has been such a success. And it's the work ethic that I learned I take into, into the charity side of things I do as well. It's really, because I, I, I understand that, and I'll, I'll work, we'll get on to that in a sec about... Um, sort of work ethic but um, I'm interested like w- with those experiences I guess like in, did, did you personally like, have, have some of them experience where you think bloody hell, this ain't for me like I don't like why are you talking to me like that or did, did you just go I am part of a team this is w- I've just got to take that on the chin or no I absolutely loved it there was no point where I thought oh, I'm, I'm, I was going to quit really 
yeah, there's no point I was going to quit until I did leave cooking. Which did was, you see other people though that maybe hadn't? Had oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, like and had got the the resilience or that that type of mm. thick skin, I guess, or whatever that looks like to to, de- to deal with that. Yeah, and that's why the industry's in the shit. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Yeah, so that's <laughs> yeah. why the industry's in the shit now. I think the knock-on effect of that culture has mm. been a lot of people have left the industry, you know, mm. and, and that's why then you get COVID come along, then you get Brexit, vice versa. Mm. You know, you get so many knocks, and that's why there's such a big staffing crisis in hospitality mm. at the moment. It really is kind of on its knees. But, um, yeah, a lot of people did leave this sector, which, mm. rightly or wrongly, you know, you, you can you can question. There's a, there's a saying in the, the industry, which is um, a diamond is formed under pressure. You can take that one or two ways. You know, it's mm. you know you can put a lot of pressure on. The old system was put a load of pressure on, and you'll get the elite come out of it. You'll get the Gordon Ramseys, the Claire Smiths, the Matt yeah. Bays. You'll get these guys that are just absolute, you know, world class in what they do. The knock-on effect is that you've probably had a hundred times as many people leave the industry. Mm. Um, I think the industry now is very much hospitality industry is very much now more of a nurturing type. It's, mm. it's they've realised they need to invest in their staff. They need to look after their staff, give birth better working hours. Um, you know, a lot of staff in hospitality have families, so they need to be more flexible with that. Mm. So it is, it's definitely getting better. But a lot of people have lost, yeah, have have left the industry. Mm. Um, there was a couple of instances I remember when I was in the kitchen where, um, when I was knackered, I used to like prep with one foot on top of the other, so like resting on top of the other. And the sous chef we used to have um, used to come around and say, look, don't stand like that. It's poor for your posture. And I j- it's just a habit. I just got into it. And then one day, he just came up behind me and just booted my legs away from me. <laughs> and then um, yeah, I fell fat on my ass. And he's like, oh, you're going to ruin your back by doing that. So he was, you know, he, he was trying to get a message into me. But, <laughs> you know, whether it's young, naive, wasn't listening. But um, I then subsequently called him a naughty word. Then he took me into the fridge and had a word with me. So yeah. um, but th- these stories happen. And I, I didn't ever think, oh, it wasn't for me. I just thought I was, I was a bit of an idiot and probably deserved it, to be honest. And you didn't stand on your leg like that again? <laughs> no, yeah, I definitely did. Yeah. And my back is now knackered. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he was yeah. right. So you learn from these wisdoms. So t- t- tell me, what, why did you why did you leave the industry? Because obviously it was a passion of yours and, mm. and cooking and stuff. And obviously we're going full circle with, with the charity stuff yeah. and getting back into that sort of side of it. But what, what, why did you leave then at that? At what, what made you leave? Um, I think it is a combination of achieving a goal. You know, I wanted to go and work for Gordon Ramsay. So mm. I did the stage of work experience yeah. at the Connor, um, and it just wasn't what I expected it to be. Um, I was lucky enough before that to work at a place called Brockett Hall, again, on, on work experience or stage. Um, where the head chef was, or the owner was a guy called Jean-Christophe Nivelli, so famous French TV chef, good-looking lad. Um, But they had an amazing head chef there called Phil Thompson, who's got a restaurant now in St Albans called Thompson. And Phil was an amazing chef, and we were pushing really hard to get a Michelin star. I say we, like I was there for a very, very short period of time, but Mm. um, that was amazing. It was on Brockett Hall Estate in near um, Welland Garden City. Mm. We all lived on site, amazing team culture, small team, um, we all just worked really hard, but lived together. That was class. Yeah. Got off this opportunity to go to London, and um, yeah, just kind of went into a big kitchen like the Connaught, part of a you know five star hotel with 150 other chefs doing night bre- you know doing your night service, your breakfast shifts. It just wasn't didn't have that team environment, mm. and that coupled with uh, my sous chef who I was working with before, he opened his own place in Reading. So Angela phoned up and said, "Look, we want you to stay." Um, but at the same time, I had this job offer from my friend in Reading to go and open his restaurant with him, which I chose, um, which was probably a bit of a mistake in hindsight. But 
at that same time, when I was living in Reading, I met my now wife, Gracie, who mm. I know you know quite yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Met Gracie, and I just kind of, I was missing playing rugby. You know, I couldn't play rugby when I was cooking. So, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of, I could play ad hoc games, but I really wanted to come back and give rugby a proper go. Combination of things, really. Yeah. Kind of just thought, did I want to do this the rest of my life? And I just thought, no, I wanted to go back and spend time with Gracie and um, play a bit more rugby, play a bit more sport, be a bit more sociable. Because I guess the li- lifestyle of working, it, like you said, 80 to 100 hours a week, mm. like you, you don't, I, I'm assuming, I, get, I guess, that you don't get much of a, you know, personal life in that sense no. because it's because of the na- nature of the business. You're working when m- most people yeah. are out having a beer or out going out for dinner. Yeah, so your, your days off tend to be sort of Sunday afternoons and Mondays. Yeah. So if you see anyone in pubs Sunday afternoons and Mondays, it's normally <laughs> chefs or people <laughs> yeah. in hospitality. But um, you don't because you're knackered. Yeah. You know, you just spend your day off resting and just chilling out if you can. You do try and go out to eat and have a bite and go and see some friends, but everyone's working typically. So, yeah. um, but I would say the the people you meet in hospitality are like your friends for life. Yeah. Um, they really are. You met some wicked people along the way, people from all different walks of walks of life. You get to meet these people, and that's why I love. I'm such a big champion of hospitality now. Is that you, you know, you can enter the industry, you don't even need any qualifications, you don't need yeah. to even speak English, and you can get a job, you can travel, you can meet some amazing people, you can work anywhere in the world. Like, it's such a good career. Yeah. Um, I always think that people, a bit like the old um, army service, you have to do national service, I think ev- everyone should have to spend two or three years in hospitality because yeah. you learn how to communicate, how to deal with customers, you, you know, you learn so much that yeah. you can take into wider life. You know what, it's really interesting you say that. I, I listen to you. People know I'm obviously a big fan of Diver the CEO, and I listen to, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, Nick Jones, who started Soho House, mm. founder of Soho yeah. House, he'd done an episode, episode on yeah. there, yeah. But he, he talked almost exactly as you've just done. He said everyone should have a period of their life mm. starting out in hospitality, and, and because he had he was working in the restaurant and stuff like mm. that, and he said, because it, it gives you such great skills to be able to take on to life and, and do other bits, and he said it was amazing. It's amazing, I bet. You know, have you ever worked in hospitality? Have you mm. in a pub washing out when you were younger? No, no, no. It's no. amazing how many business owners that I speak to um, that, funnily enough, so Chris Goodman, who's been on your podcast yeah, before, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the day he recorded a podcast with you, I was around his house for dinner that night, and um, we were talking about hospitality because he supported our charity, so we did yeah, a dinner yeah. for him. And I said, look, we had telling a story about how many business owners I know that started in hospitality, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. can kind of trace it back and... Um, meeting a good friend of mine Zach who used to be chief exec at Sussex Cricket Club you know and he mm. was he started life in hospitality loves hospitality so there's a correlation between people that own businesses mm. most people whether it is just working your local pub or yeah, a waiter yeah. during university years or whatever it is you know mo- a lot of business owners have started in hospitality and you kind of trace a lot of their skills back to that well, I guess as well like, I want to move on as well because I want to talk about obviously like work ethic mm. and I guess one thing hospitality my, my impression would give you is a very strong work ethic yeah because one the nature just of the hours and the fact that you are so like physically but mentally as well like you said under a lot of pressure sometimes within yeah. the within um within the kitchen but because you, you 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 mentioned i mean when we spoke um off air before you sort of mentioned about you know it'd be very difficult to find someone at work me I'm, i've got very strong work ethic mm. but where, where did that did that come from becoming in hospitality or from wh- from a young age? Where 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 has that come from from you? I, honestly, mate, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I've always worked hard. I've always enjoyed working hard, and I've always enjoyed sort of pushing myself. Um, 
I've never been money driven. It's never really been a driver for me. Mm. I think it's kind of perfect timing to be honest. I used to love cooking, so I then started, as I said, in the bakery, in the pub, etc. And to progress in kitchens, you have to work hard. So mm. I just had it within me to work hard. I don't know what it was that that did that. Um, also, a bit of stubbornness, I guess, trying to. You know, my dad and I are like best mates. You know, we go to rugby together. He's one of my yeah. best mates. But um, you know, he's very different to me. He's very easy off that generation. He's a lot older. He's that generation of get a good job, get a good pension, get a, you know, yeah, what, yeah, go so to university. Yeah. I didn't do any of that, so I didn't go to university. I didn't, you know, go into a normal standard job, as it were. Right. So I wanted to prove that I could make it work. And there's an element of that, I guess. But I don't know. I've just always enjoyed. I think it's back comes down to. I was thinking about this before. I think it all comes down to passion. I think if you enjoy what you do. Mm then actually when you work, it doesn't feel like work. So you don't mind putting in the hours if you actually love what you're doing. Yeah. And in kitchen, you know, you, you, if you do 100 hours a week, you know, you can learn twice as much as someone doing 50 hours a week. Mm. So you progress quicker. And that's why you see a lot of chefs, head chefs, owners that are mid-20s because they've done a lot of hours in a very short amount of time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Burnout is definitely a real thing. You know, that's something the industry needs to be very, very care- careful of. And that's why it has got better. Um, you know, burnout is definitely very real in, in hospitality and in business. You know, yeah. well, that, uh, that's why I'm interested to talk to because I'm very similar. I remember when we first sort of spoke about that, and I'm very similar to you. Like I've always had a, I'm a grafter, always had a very strong, mm. from a very young age, worked in different things, you know, milkman, blah, 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 all them type of things. We getting up early before school and going mm. to. So I've, I've always had that. And my mum and dad, not entrepreneurial in any way, shape, or form, but very strong work ethic and always taught me that. Mm. Um, but I, I guess I'm conscious of, and I, I, f- for me as well, I, it's a part of me because I love what I do. Yeah. Trying to have that switch off where I don't, because like, you can constantly think about work, and then yeah. that's where potentially burnout comes. I, yeah. I'm I'm keen to see how you do have that balance and switch off from from stuff that so I'm able to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but do you no. struggle with that then? I'm assuming. Or yeah, definitely. I think it's. Um, you know, Gracie always says to me, even when I'm with the kids, you're not present. And that's something that I am, especially since COVID, really, really working hard on is, mm. is trying to be more present with the kids and spend time. And But it's hard. You know, I love what I do. I love being busy. Um, so I tend to have a routine where, you know, I work. I do my exercise in the morning. I, I tend to exercise is a massive part of it. I went through a stage not too long ago, actually, where I just didn't do an exercise for ages. Mm. And I just felt rubbish as a result. Um, really lethargic. Got no energy levels. Eating crap. Um, so you know, I've ex- sort of reintroduced exercise into into my day now. Mm. Um, so I do my exercise first thing in the morning, get the kids ready for school, and then sort of I work, and then between sort of five and seven thirty, that's the kids' time. So I have dinner with them, put them to bed if I can, um, and then from seven thirty till ten is is normally sort of laptop on, watching some crap telly in the background. It's yeah, um, yeah. but I always kind of think well. I'd either be sitting on my ass doing nothing or I can make use of that time. And, you know, so sometimes I do just want to, you can't just do it every night. Yeah. You know, I found when I launched Table Talk, I was doing it every night and I was knackered. Yeah. So there's, there's times you have to pick, pick your battles now. Yeah. Um, but work-life balance is definitely something that, you know, I want to work towards and it's hard when you've got a million and one things to do and not a lot of time. Because do you feel like, because there is, again, there's that narrative out there a little bit about and I'm guilty of this sometimes because of the f- plates you spin and the things mm. you do that, you, you know, I feel like if I'm not being productive, I then sometimes feel guilty. So if I am just sitting there and I'm going, oh, I'm just going to watch some crap telly or whatever mm. it is, I think 
there's always something to do. Running a business is always something to do. Mm. So you think, oh, I'm, I'm not being productive now. I should be being productive. Like you said, you, you put the kids to bed, but then you're three hours or so on the yeah. thing. So utilising all the hours you're awake almost, yeah. other than those little bits with the kids that you're being productive as much as you possibly can. Like, yeah. I get, I, I, I'm conflicted in part of that, I think, because I'm like wondering whether, well, I want to be productive because I want the business to do well. I, I enjoy doing it. Yeah. But at the same time, I know that you read about burnout and you read about these things. And what's your take on that? Well, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like guilty about not being productive when you're, when you're just Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm the worst person on holiday. So we're going on holiday next week and I'm terrible because, <laughs> you know, I, but um, I can't switch off. And it's, you know, rightly or wrongly, I just can't switch off. So I kind of have an agreement with Gracie where I'll do an hour a day, keep on top of it. So at least if I know what's going on, I can relax. Whereas mm. if I completely shut off, I just I get stressed because I don't know what's going on. Mm. It's a bit of a control freak. But I think it's, it's having some sort of balance and structure to a day. I've learned that, um, again, through Chris Goodman, actually, when first met him for lunch a few years ago. And, you know, just set structure to the day. So between typically 10 and 3, I'm doing stuff that's proactive. I think all too often in business, and I do it when I'm when I'm being lethargic, I, I'm just reactive to stuff, and you'd never actually move forward. So sort of I set hours between ten and three where I'm just I'm just working on the business. So whether it's following up leads or working with a team, um, speaking to people that can introduce business to us, whatever mm. that might be, yeah. you're doing stuff that's proactive, and then your admin comes, you know, earlier or or later. Um, but during those hours, you're just working on the business. Mm. So setting a really really set time scale for yourself each day of right between these hours these are the tasks I need to do um, and just making sure that I hit those hit those those goals and then everything else can wait alongside um, you can be let's say get your admin done before or after those hours but during that that time it's just proactive stuff that's, then, re- that's really good advice uh, I, I could because you can almost be sometimes and I think I'm very guilty of this almost be a busy thought you can do so many things mm-hmm. and you're spinning so many plates with that little bit of lack of structure sometimes you feel I've done a 15 hour day today yeah. but actually uh, what have you achieved uh, yeah, yeah exactly that like you, you analyse it and go what, you, what, what have you achieved I remember, I remember Chris saying to me like, what happens if you don't email someone back on the same day nothing really yeah. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean no. yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's in our heads that we have to respond within 24 or within on the same day but it's not if, if it's not urgent it can wait and you know you do other stuff that, that works on your business that takes you forward so you, you, have you become better? Do you think recently at putting boundaries in place to be able mm. to to be able to do that? Yeah, definitely. You know, I've still not mastered it yet. And as the kids grow up as well, I I want to I want to be there for them. I want to be able to do stuff and and actually be present with them. Mm. And so yeah, I, I'm I am quite structured during my day. So I, work, I write out a to do list every day. Mm. I set myself hours during the day of what tasks I need to complete and when. And of, of course, it never always works out. But if you can do sort of three and a half four days out of the five where mm. you've got that structure you tend to you feel like you've achieved a lot over the course of a week yeah i love that i think w- one thing i listen to as well because i'm exactly the same so going on holiday like mm. we, we had two weeks in sicily in august and i put my laptop in the bag as i do every time yeah. we've got and she said look for 10 years you've been running your own business can you just not take your laptop i said look I, d- I do it because I don't. I try not to allow it to affect the family because I'm I'm an early riser, so I'll get up early. I, I literally while we was on holiday, I'd get up, go for a swim at mm. about half five, six in the morning, come back, do an hour or so, and everyone's still in bed. So it yeah. hasn't affected them. But I'm the same. Like for me, I feel like I I can rela- I can then go and spend the whole day in the pool with the kids and yeah. not even think about work because yeah. um I know I've dealt with that. You've checked in. Yeah. I've checked in, and I think like that. 
because put we're, like I said, we're going too low about the whole work-life balance thing, but it, it is different for everyone, and it's got to be what what works for you, isn't mm. it? As, as well as the family as a whole, but what works works for you. And I think there's still that. Oh, you know, if you get in a way, you're not switching off. If you mm. uh, are you having a break or you're not, but actually, it just my anxiety levels and yeah. they keep much lower if I'm able to check into the morning. So I think, yeah. and you know, Gracie, to be fair to her. <laughs> Um, we've been married nearly 10 years now, been together for, oh God, something like 17 years, so a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But she's quite good at keeping me in check. She's like my yin to my yang. So, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. she'll say to me, like, Dan, you're taking the piss now and, and rein yeah. it in. Yeah, yeah, and you do. And sometimes you need that. You need that person to say, look, come on, you know, your kids need you and you want to spend time. So, um, again, we were chatting just, just off air about a lot of social events that we get invited to and a lot yeah, of yeah. networking events. So, um, I used to get a fear of, of not drinking. You know, which is mad. So yeah. Yeah, if I'm going to go to an event, I'm going to have a few beers and enjoy it and, and that. But now, you know, more often than not, I'll, I'll drive to an event because, mm. again, it means I can get home for kids, dinner time, bedtime. Mm. And of course, like, you know, there's there's occasions where you do have a glass of wine or a beer and stuff and you get stuck into it. But it's just picking your battles now mm. and understand that actually it's okay not to go. It's okay to go to an event and not drink. And um, Yeah, it's really, I, I, again, I, I, I sort of, I, I spoke to Chris a little bit about this, obviously, mm. on, on the podcast when he came on. Big part of his journey, isn't it? Yeah. Massive, yeah, and he really opened up about that, which is, is, is it was fascinating. I think, again, I sort of mentioned to you off air, like, th- there's still that, there's still that stigma of attachment, which I just cut up, I, I don't get still really. I, well, I do get, because I've been part of it. I've yeah. always been a bit of a drinker. I love a beer and, and another glass of wine, so people would see that. So you, but you turn up to a... a an event you go oh, oh no I'm not drinking oh well what's the matter mm. well, no, nothing I'm just not not drinking I've chose chosen not to mm. <laughs> not not to drink today but there's still that and I do think I do think there's a bit of a shift I do think there's a bit of a shift but it's still a massive within the networking scene the same within sport like when you play mm. football and you rugby it's rugby especially I suppose I mean the, massive the, the rugby culture has changed massively so yeah. the rugby tours I used to go on <laughs> I mean we can't really speak too much about them yeah. there, but <laughs> now the tours the younger guys coming through they did a tour where they climbed Snowdon you know they do stuff yeah. we did um, a camping trip a couple of years ago to the New Forest where we did like team building stuff so a lot of the pre-season tours we used to do where we used to go to Lanzarote as an excuse to go and play beach rugby and just absolutely kick the arse out of it every evening but now it's very much the young, younger generation don't want that and I think it's it's more acceptable. So you know, we mentioned Chris, but Sam Garrity at Rocket Mill, who I know mm. you know, yeah. you know, he went teetotal for a long time. And and it, when you actually think about it, if you go out on a Monday and you get hammered, typically now because I'm at the age I am, it'll write off a Tuesday. <laughs> so if you write off a day, that's twenty percent of your work week done. You know, mm. just from getting hammered, it just mm. doesn't make it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't work out. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm still guilty of it now to a certain degree i'm going out for dinner tomorrow night with some friends and i'll have a few glasses of wine there but it's it's kind of picking and choosing what you do and, and really restricting the ones you do go to i yeah. find that that's really helped i tell you what the shift for me like so kelly that she she'd stopped drinking she had a, she read a few books and she stopped mm. drinking for quite a long period and i was like so because i love cooking and as yeah. you know we've shared that so for me cooking glass of wine yeah. was just a given like so you, you i Without realising, I'm drinking every day. I'm doing mm. half a bottle of wine every mm. single night, and you and you think oh, it doesn't affect me at all, like, but it does. You're waking up in the morning, you're a little bit sheepish. Yeah, yeah. So when lockdown happened for me, because I was trying to, you know, Kelly was working flat out, I was ho- pretty much homeschooling because the businesses yeah. were struggling. So it was that ballot trying to like, and I, I just felt I had to be honest. I'm one minute I'm doing math seeds, the next yeah. minute I'm answering an email yeah. or trying to sort something out. 
So I completely stopped in lockdown. Like where a lot of people drank a little bit more, I completely stopped. And I changed my mindset around drinking completely. Because I literally, I was waking up in the morning feeling alive and getting out of bed and thinking, mm. no, I feel okay. And your, oh, my brain just felt like it was on it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the difference, isn't it? When you actually realise you taste, what, 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 I don't need to do that to go and have a good time. But it's, yeah, it's very much a vicious cycle as well because when I'm hungover, I eat rubbish. Yeah, and then I feel horrendous. I feel yeah. even worse. Then I don't feel like I've got the energy to exercise. Yeah, yeah. So understanding that the diet is so important. And again, yeah. I'm nowhere near perfect at it. Yeah. But I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm getting a little bit wiser and starting to realise that actually, mm. you know, I'm not 22, 23 anymore. <laughs> um, you know, you need to look after yourself a little bit well, better. No, you're still looking, mate. You're still looking good. Look at you. The wrinkles. <laughs> 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 oh, thanks, bud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mate, let's, I want to I talk a little bit about, like, look, running, a busy, going into a busy set at 19 mm. and uh, I'm running it for you know, 14, 15 years. T- tell me about some of the challenges you faced and, and especially, I guess, as be starting as a business in the, uh, as a young guy as well at that, that yeah. age. Like, t- Talk me about some of the challenges over the years. Yeah, I think, um, so buying the franchise when I was 19, I'm now 35, um, no customers, nothing. So it was starting from scratch. Yeah. Um, so first, obviously, I think the financial pressures were there. You know, I had no money. I put the franchise fee on a credit card. Yeah. My dad lent me a little bit. But I didn't have money to invest in the business. You know, I was kind of, I think sometimes, but I had no risk. I was living at home with the parents, no kids, no dependents. Mm. So actually, I had no risk associated with it. So I didn't need to earn a huge amount of money. Mm. But it was more the provider. You know, you get into the networking groups and you meet some people that are doing really well. And you think, oh, I want to be like that. And you, you kind of build up this provider, which is completely a lot of rubbish. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think not having the financial, I think the age was a barrier. Um, in our job, you know, we, we do private medical insurance. We sell health insurance, essentially, and look mm-hmm. after customers. And we're typically dealing with business owners, you know, chief execs, finance directors, HR directors, so senior people in businesses. And at 19, 18, when I joined my father-in-law's business, 19 to buy my own business, you know, you, you had to really prove yourself. You had to outwork, not outwork, but you had to kind of, prove yourself before they, you'd even get in the door yeah. I had no network behind me nothing you know none, none of my friends were in jobs where they could help influence decisions yeah. they're all still at university or whatever so um, yeah I think just getting out there you, you learn the hard way and it is and it's something we still say to this day to the franchise owners that the first two years are bloody horrible you know and yeah. it, it is you, you've got no no support in terms of no customers behind you so you, everything you you have to go out and just generate everything from scratch and as a youngster, that was definitely a barrier. Mm. So I overcame that by really getting involved and reading and learning about business and watching Question Time, watching the news so I could t- talk about the economy, mm. um, reading loads of like business books and yeah, just kind of really immersing myself to try and make me a better all-round business owner as opposed to a one-dimensional health insurance bloke. You know, mm. So we go to a, a meeting and we're speaking to a finance director, well, I can talk about the economy and what's happening in you know, stock market and stuff. It's because I gave myself that little bit of extra knowledge. So all of a sudden, you, you're, you're not that, you know, 18, 19-year-old spotty sales guy. You're, yeah, you're yeah. kind of on their level. Um, as time's gone on, that's definitely got easier, but then you get different challenges. You get, I remember recruiting um, my first member of staff, John, who's still with me now. Um, it was a big risk because I didn't know if I could actually afford to, to bring him on, but I knew that I was struggling with the workload. So uh, I remember sitting down with John. How many years up. was that? In? How many so John joined me six years ago now. Okay. So um, yeah, so about you know, just over halfway through, 
the journey um and he took a risk you know he was living in wales at the time he was at university went he's, i've known john for years through rugby mm. so i knew what it was like as a character type um and he took a risk you know moved back i could only offer him a, a small amount of salary but i said look whatever happens i'll look after you and yeah he, he's been with me ever since he's now living back in wales working remotely um but obviously covid has shown that we can do that we don't need to be yeah. all together all the time um and then yeah chris who you know chris nash, chris nash yeah. uh, he bought into my business so he joined me when he finished playing cricket and then uh, he bought into my business earlier this year so having that team around me has really helped but it's always a bit of a risk because the typical traditional wpa franchise model it's one man band working from home you know we've now got so from you know 2009 when i bought the franchise to now it's now the largest franchise out of the 90 franchise owners we have wow. by quite some way actually and it's <coughs> having that that balls to recruit people and, and to take them on the journey with me yeah. um you know i can only recruit people i know because i'm not a great man manager at all so right. you know i will i will lead from the front and try and work as hard as i can but i'm not great at managing people um, so i know what john's like in his work he's very different to me very methodical gets his work his workload is, is phenomenal what he gets through yeah. and chris is very similar to me i think he's quite outgoing and quite chatty and um yeah quite flamboyant sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but we, we you know we've got a really good balance we get on really really well as a team and yeah hopefully the boys love working, working yeah with. That's, uh, that's so uh, talk to me a little bit about that then chris coming on board because he bought mm. into the mm. to the franchise end as well didn't he so yeah what, what What's that? Because I get look. Ultimately, as a as a business owner, I mentioned this to Chris as well about it. Like as a business owner, you sort of think to yourself that I'm going to build a business to get to a stage that mm. I sell and we make some money, and, and mm. you know that's that's my element of success and achievement and everything. And you've ticked all the boxes, did it? But I, I'm keen to know how you felt about that at that, at that stage. Obviously, it's a s smaller percentage. You've still got like, usual mm. ownership of the business, but that you sold a percentage of your business and made some money on that. What, yeah. what, talk, talk to me about that process. Uh, it's kind of double-edged sword, really. I, you know, I've known Chris for years through my working with Sussex Cricket Club, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, I met him in at Sussex. Kept in touch with me. Went up to Notts, um, and we always had a plan for him to come and come and work with us oh, okay. when he finished cricket. You know, from it was still at Sussex time, probably three or four years before he retired. Mm. We always had that plan, and then it then it obviously happened. Um, and Chris came on and, and hit the ground running. You know, he's great with people, yeah. built up a lot of contacts over the years. So he just hit the ground running. And um, you know, the, the franchise world in in our industry, there's not many franchises available. So he didn't have the option to go out and buy his own, really. Mm. Uh, but also, I wanted to kind of share some of the workload. I wanted to. I work well in the team. Although I'm not great at managing the team, I work well in the team. So mm. I wanted to have someone there to bounce ideas off. And John's great as well. Like we all work quite closely together. And John kind of brings Chris and I down to earth sometimes yeah. with his ideas. <laughs> um, but yeah, selling the decision to, you know, I saw Chris was doing really well, but also getting a little bit frustrated because it's like, where does he go from there? Mm. And, you know, I, I launched Table Talk very similar time and I wanted to kind of spend a bit more time on that. And so we came came to the deal that he would buy 25% of, of the business, mm. um, which happened in January this year. And I guess initially I was I was excited because I thought, oh, I'm going to get a, you know, a big chunk of money here and happy yeah. days. I was also quite apprehensive because it was my baby. You know, it's something I built up from scratch. Yeah. And it was my baby and I knew every single, I knew most of my clients, you know, personally, yeah. got relationships with them. So how do I 
you know, offset that. Um, so I think the, the balance of having someone there who's infused, who's part of the business, skin in the game was really important, you know, to keep Chris happy and to keep him pushing forward. And we've got plans to keep growing and, and potentially buy other franchises and that kind of thing. Mm. The realisation of getting that chunk of money, you know, a fair chunk of money over six figures and, and it hit your account and you're like, well, it literally made no difference to me. As yeah. Barza as it sounds, like, I've always known that I've not been money driven. It was nice and it was a reward for a lot of the work I put in, but it was kind of like, what's next? I think as entrepreneurs, we always have this thing, right, what's next, what's mm. next? You can't always appreciate what what's there. Um, so it's kind of a, a bit of a, not a disappointment at all, because it was, you know, enabled us to do some stuff on the house and to yeah. do a few things that we, we always wanted to do. But also it's a bit like an anticlimax. You're like, oh, okay, fine, it's, it's just, it's just money ultimately. Mm. And actually what makes me happy is, is spending time with my mates, spending time with my family and, Spending time with people like yourself, you know, learning from people like yourself, and um, yeah, so it's kind of you always think, what's next? I think as a business owner, as a, I don't really like the word entrepreneur. I think it's a bit, yeah. a bit wanky, but um, <laughs> I still can't spell it, mate. I struggle. But I think you, you always, I think a guilt, a guilty um, thing that I'm guilty of, sorry, is that I always think, oh, what's next? You don't mm. really stand still to appreciate what you've got, and I'm not ready to stand still and appreciate what I've got either. I don't think. I want to touch on that a little bit then because I like you, you mentioned earlier as well about being a bit more present mm. like with the with, with the kids especially but um and and I've listened to you talk about that many people I've had come on so not just Chris but you know Kevin Byrne yeah. which sold Checker Trade yeah. very similar like you know I, I sold that for that and it, all it was was an anticlimax that's how mm. it, that, that they felt at the time and actually it's the journey that they enjoy yeah, and, yeah, the, and, yeah. The, and the growing and stuff but the one thing I want to touch on there is the fact that you you, you say about uh, constantly thinking and, and keep moving forward and keep doing stuff which is the way your sort of brain works but when do you think you'll ever get to a point where you're go actually that's I'm happy with that that's enough or are you happy right now in the moment and I guess that's the mm. key is trying to be happy in the moment where you are as opposed yeah. to constantly going I'm going to keep going and keep trying to get somewhere I think it's the thinking what's next that's what keeps me happy from a work perspective yeah I, th I couldn't think of anything worse than not having any vision or any ambition or any goals anything yeah, yeah. so ha what's thinking what's next so in my head it was literally as simple as selling some of the business to Chris letting go some of my baby that I built up yeah. it was almost going one step back to go two forward so I know with Chris and with John and with the plans we've got we can we can really kick start we can really push on and, and mm. do something really special so I think having the, the what's next the goals the ambitions really does make me happy from a work perspective mm. obviously that has a knock-on effect to your personal life where you are so busy um, but look I'm 35 years old mate I can't I can't sit back yet yeah. Um, I'm not ready to sit back. I've got a lot of energy. I want to do a lot of stuff. I want to, I want to, you know, especially with table talk. I really want to see where we can take that and mm. and kind of see what we can do there. So um, yeah, it's exciting. And that that buzz is what keeps you going and it's the excitement. And I guess that's for me. I, and I, I love you because I think for, for me that's where that's that that's the fulfilment, isn't it? The, the mm. stuff that you're doing, the things that you're involved in, and like even like cause talking to Chris, like. The amount they made on obviously mm. the, the sale of the percentage of focus yeah, absolutely not a phenomenal amount of money where we could sit back and yeah. not have to ever work again but where 
he mentioned about feeling empty then and going, what, what, what's yeah. life about then? What, what do we do? Like you said, at 35, if we did put a few more noughts on, on mm. that six figures, and then you go, oh, I haven't actually ever got to work again. W mm. Would you just stop then? Does your brain no, just then no. all of a sudden go, oh, I won't, I, I'm not ambitious, I won't do that anymore? Or of course not. No, I, th I think you can. I try to balance that a little bit with, with the charity. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's been something like a real a labor of love really in terms of that's something that I've been really quite passionate about and and, and it helps give you that balance that perspective um, but yeah it's not not just Chris you know loads of people I know that sold their businesses for a huge amount of money mm. and uh, Ian Fletcher Price so posturite you know yeah. great friend of mine really really good friend of mine good mentor but he's still you know he's still busy set up a, a um, an amazing business which is called Cadence they do like coffee shops along cycling routes so we did we took the boys out for a, a team day out where it's like e-bikes you go across the downs and cook me a haven and stuff it's amazing but yeah. you set up a new you know so that i think it's just in our nature as, as business owners is is just to keep going and it is that that journey you go on um that keeps you keeps you busy and i, I think again it, most people have alluded to it and i think you have sort of said oh, i think and something i'm conscious of myself is just making sure that you enjoy that journey on yeah. the way through that yeah. it's not that you know we've got to say because there's always that contradiction for me where you you go live in the present live in the now and enjoy that moment and blah 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 but as as entrepreneurs you know we've got to have goals and you set yourself targets and any business owner any sell anything in life you sort of go i want to uh, set myself a target mm. but not so that that's the destination and that's where your happiness lies mm. it's that the happiness is here right now, who you are as a person, and that those core values as a person. That's what I think. That's what Chris alluded to when yeah. I spoke to him. It's about actually knowing who you are as a person and your core values. Then it doesn't matter where you can keep going and keep doing them other things, mm. and that will eventually get there. But again, back to that, just enjoying that process and yeah. the whole process, it? which is sometimes difficult to do when you're in maybe not a strong financial position. Some mm. business owners out there that you know, me included, at times mm. you're looking around and robbing Peter to pay Paul when you're yeah, having a, a really difficult time but it's actually them moments that make you and you, you bounce back and you but I, th I think when I look back on the early years when I didn't have a pocket put in mm. you know you, I still enjoyed it I still loved yeah, the challenge yeah, so uh, it's not the money that's come alongside it has, has not been the driver at all mm. um, it's been you know I'm very very fortunate to in my business to, to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis some amazing business owners you know a lot of people being in your podcast I made a note of all the people that I kind of know so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know Joe Miles Chris Goodman Tamara at Ridgeview yeah, she's yeah. one of our trustees Noel one of our trustees yeah. at the charity Michael Geetson's a great friend of mine now mm. I've got to know really well and he has a hundred million pound turnover business yeah. and he's a great bloke um, you know Ryan Hill yeah. great mentor he's helped me a lot with the charity mm. James Dempster, bit of an average bloke, but um, <laughs> <laughs> a great business owner. But it, I know he's a you know, young family, similar yeah, sort of story to yeah. us. And, you know, you can bounce ideas, you can share these experiences with these people. And um, it's it's just surrounding yourself with great people. That's where I get more fulfillment now. It, it's just, you know, spending time with successful people mm. or people that have got ambition and goals and that want to make themselves better. I love spending time with those kind of people. I love that. I love. I, I completely agree. Look, one of the reasons people say to me about oh, what, what made you start a podcast is because for me, we, we are surrounded here mm. in, within this business community. I've been fortunate enough, as we both, but to be in this business community for over ten years now and mm. network and meets and just phenomenal people. And people ask me, oh, "Who inspires you?" And I, the people 
people like you, people are sitting in front of me, come on here and share their stories because there's some, there's some amazing businesses and people doing some amazing mm. things and what and that's why I love it that everyone's got that story to tell, haven't they? They come on and you can you can mm. share that. But man, I, this has been the biggest education for me sitting mm. opposite people like yourself and listening to you talk about your journey and and, and the things that you've gone through and how you've grown a business and what that looks like is it, it blows me away. Really, I think we're we're fortunate. Yeah, we are very 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 fortunate in Sussex and it's quite a small business community but you got some big hitters there mm. um, but come back to your point what's your kind of end goal where, where, what, what's your fulfilment what do you get out of stuff what are you <laughs> looking to achieve yeah it's, it's strange I, 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 for me I'm, I've never hit that that financial reward I think from a business point of view, and I, I'm interested. We're, we're fli- I will answer your question. We'll flip back to it, but mm. about around success. So I still think there's a narrative out there that, that success is based on your financial gain, and mm. people, would, if that was the truth, then people would look at me as not a very successful person at mm. all from a financial point of view. But when I w- when I hit forward, I went through a little bit of a wobble up mental health wise and struggle because I hadn't achieved that financial mm. goal. Uh, I, I looked around and I was surrounded by people who loved me mm. and who I love. I know it sounds a bit soppy, but I was no, not. Um, you know, my wife, got two beautiful kids, people within the business community who are actually really close friends who I yeah. can rely on. I've got mates who I've grown up with from school who are still my best mates and call me great relationship with mum and dad and all those. So actually, I looked at it and went, that, that's, I'm actually really, su- if I die tomorrow, I'm mm. quite a successful person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And th- that, so the relationships I've built over the years and, and the person I am as, a, as an individual, I'm, I'm happy with that and that's mm. fulfilment for me. Perfect. Um, but I'm still taught, because there's a part of me that yeah. it's still that niggle in the back of my brain going, you are really successful, you've done really well. Yeah. But there's a niggle goes, because of that narrative, that I haven't made that financial freedom mm. and that financial security that I'd craved for so long. And and I and I listening to every single there's not one person that's come on that has financially made a success who haven't gone just they're just numbers and it's just yeah. a bit of an angry cut. So Yeah, it, honestly mate, I think you can I think I got caught up in that trap when I started the business because, you know, I'd buy a watch I couldn't afford, drive a car I couldn't afford and do stuff that I couldn't afford. And you just think, Why? Like just one of the things I've learned over the last recent years is I just try and be as authentic to myself as I possibly can. Um and the fulfillment now is from spending time with friends and family. So a good example now, uh, I had three best men at my wedding um, during COVID, didn't get to see them. But now every you know first Wednesday of every month, we get together for, for dinner and a chat and a catch up. Mm. Um, that really is something I really look forward to, like absolutely non-negotiable. It's in the diary. We're going out for dinner and, and a few drinks and a catch up and, and just see what's going on in their world and find mm. out what's going on with their families and stuff. And spending time with people like that and you know holidays and spending time with kids not even just holidays but just taking time off and just being at home yeah. is often just as rewarding as going to an exotic best destination mm. so yeah the financial side of things i don't think is, is something to, to strive towards I, really, I mean you've heard people mm. like chris and yeah, loads yeah, of kevin yeah. say it yeah, yeah it's just not there it's just it just i don't know why you know, yeah, I, I've not heard anyone that says, "Oh, I've made a load of money. I'm really happy yeah, with it. Yeah, it." It makes life easier, of course it does. But yeah, yeah ultimately, that still won't. I don't know. It's a yeah. funny thing. It really, it is a really funny is. Thing. It's, it's so, mate, it's so interesting. So I'm glad you asked me quick because honestly, I, I think one of the biggest things I'm trying to learn from the podcast, and like I said, I, when I got to the forty, and like this mm. over 
nearly four years ago now, I've really come out and I was completely changed. Mm. I was like, you know what? I'm and I spring in my step and I wasn't worried about that. But then you, you're in, in a position sometimes where, you, you know, trying to grow county business clubs and mm. that, you know, means I've not focused on firm balls as much. So I'm sort of at this balancing act a little bit and you look, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul and you're yeah. doing it. That, that financial pressure then kicks in and you go, got to do that and I've got to do that and then that side you go just breathe don't worry about it we'll every, I'm, I believe in what I'm doing I love the things I do but if you had 100 million quid in your account yeah yeah would you still do those things to make those success yeah you would exactly yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. It, that's what I've always got like I, I completely understand what you're saying mate because mm. the narrative of oh he's really successful he's got a load of money but honestly some of the most successful wealthy people I know are just like you and I they're just they're just chilled they're just not yeah, they're not yeah. the big $10,000 suits and driving mm. mental cars. They're not. They're ju it just doesn't really kind of exist. It leads nicely on, actually, uh, because uh, uh, I guess ultimately what we're talking about is just as long as you've got a purpose and you believe yeah. in that purpose, which then takes us nicely to talking about, obviously, the, the, the foundation. Talk to me yeah. about, you know, successful from Angela Eyes for, for many years and obviously you've grown it to that stage, but then launching Table Talk, mm. talk to me a little bit about that and... and what inspired you to start that and obviously go back into the like that the yeah. catering industry and, and hospitality and supporting hospitality in that way well, i think it's, it's something I, I alluded to earlier where i said i was almost a bit felt a bit guilty a bit of a fraud from running a successful franchise because it's like well as long as you work hard as long as you're not a muppet <laughs> you can <laughs> you can do all right from it because <laughs> there's a framework there so I've always wanted to do something i've always, always had this need always to do something for myself mm. and i didn't want to do it as a profit making venture um, but I, I love hospitality, as I said already. I, I owe a lot to hospitality. So I wanted to do something back in hospitality. I've got a lot of friends that are chefs. So it's kind of like looking at what I could do that could make a difference, that could have a bit of fun with, and just kind of combine it all into one. So the, the initial idea, um, you'll know this, and a lot of people that, that listen to this mm. may or may not know this, but we, we have Table Talk Foundation, which is the charity, but we also have Table Talk Business Club. Mm -hmm. And the business club was actually the first idea. So it was, I looked at a lot of my my connections, my clients that I, that I know in the business community. And the one thing that often connects people is food. Mm -hmm. They love food and drink, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's at all levels. And we're all passionate about Sussex because we think it's a great county. So I then also wanted to support anyone that puts their balls on the line to, to chase their dream and set up in hospitality because it's notoriously hard to make a hospitality business work whether it's a restaurant bar hotel cafe whatever it looks like so it's like, well, i've got this this network of successful business owners over here and i've got these people over here that i want to support so what can i do to bring them together so we set up table talk business club which is a not-for-profit so it's a community interest company and it's a it's kind of a it's a business club aimed at business owners and senior decision makers we meet once a month and we run some really cool sort of networking events but it's more of a club as opposed to a networking event mm -hmm. so you know michael geetson's a member tam mm -hmm. pam lock um loads of people that you've had in the podcast are members yeah, yeah. so it's this community of business owners and we bring them into these these independent hospitality venues they host us um then our members get to meet the owners of the restaurants and the chefs and the people that they 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 want to know essentially so next time they go out for dinner whether it's taking clients out taking friends family they go and support these local sussex hospitality venues Love that. Um, had some really great um, feedback 
some of the events we run are really different. They're not your normal networking events. So next week we're at Chili Pickle in Brighton. And so it's owned by Dawn and Alan, two absolute legends of Sussex hospitality. But we've got our members, they're teaching us how to make authentic naan breads and, and dals. And then we're going to sit down and have an Indian feast um, and network over lunch. So we, we do some really cool stuff. We do stuff with people, yeah, top end, with people like Etch and 64 Degrees, mm. down to... In the summer, we had a seafood lunch in a brewery, so a big long table, and we had a had a seafood lunch there. So, I say it's a network of business owners, no agenda other than just to get together, share ideas, mentor, help each other, mm. and support the local hospitality sector. Being a community interest company, um, you can only take out I think it's thirty percent of profits as dividends. So seventy percent has to go to a charitable purpose, essentially. And I said it was never meant to be a profit-making venture but uh, instead of giving it to something there's some amazing charities in Sussex but I wanted to do something where I could kind of choose where that money went so mm -hmm. that's where the foundation came out and we um so there's three of us involved with Table Talk there's myself Jess Agarwal and um Tom Sergi who's like a hospitality legend he was on Alan Titchmarsh this weekend if you saw that oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. but he's a wine presenter and, and trade guy by um you know start working life at, at Ridgeview so with Tam yeah. so there's three of us and yeah the foundation we have two goals it's promote food education to children in schools mm -hmm. and to um, support the local hospitality sector and the food education side of things has gone really really well we so starting from September so this school term we're in I think it's 23 schools so we're going to yeah. deliver food education to over 600 kids this year um, we've wow. got our own chef lecturer that we employ we're building a big 200,000 pound facility at Plumpton College. Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's pretty full on, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good yeah. fun. Not, not just gone, I'll start a little charity, but I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and then it turned into. But what was the, But that's what it was. was it was supposed to be uh, a little thing where I could try and just help support people along <laughs> the way. It was never intended to be um, where we are now. You know, we've yeah. raised best best part of 300,000 pounds this year. We're you know we're, we're not even into our second full year yet um you know building this big facility chef lecture you know it's, it's gone nuts but it's it's again it's surrounded by people you know we have nine trustees in the charity so it's tamara roberts you know ian poison you know jason edge noel preston so we're, we're surrounded i mean there's a few obviously i haven't mentioned but there's some a few absolute legends that tam you know got us into the plumpton gig they're like well plumpton are building this massive building do we want to be a part of it um, and that means that we can bring children in to this facility, give them like a master chef style kitchen, but we can show them where milk comes from. There's a dairy next door, 250 cows. You know, there's a piggery, there's polytunnels, there's orchards. So we can actually go and grab stuff and take it back into the kitchen and teach kids where food comes from. Because the reality is, mate, we are heading into a massive crisis. You know, the crisis is way bigger than coronavirus, mm -hmm. which is childhood obesity. Um, it's going to have much, much, much worse effects to this country than coronavirus or yeah, some of these other yeah, big yeah. pandemics you know this and you've in so nuts. much less down to the lack of education for 100 percent. it's lack of education lack of skills i think mm. um we, uh, we we're quite big on skill side of things in terms of you know just get kids hands on just yeah. get kids cooking have some fun with it i know you love your food and yeah 100 you know just get hands on that's what cooking's all about and then by hopefully by default if they love their food they'll understand their food they'll make better food choices mm. you know, the stats are scary you know one in three children now leave primary school over overweight or obese wow. we spend more on treating That's obesity scary, on the nhs than we do the police fire and judicial system combined 
think how much we spend on the police, the fire and judicial system, combine that, we're spending more on treating obesity on the NHS than all of those two things combined. But yet nothing's being done at government level. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Jamie Oliver says it beautifully. There's a really good TED talk Jamie Oliver does, which is like, the best gift we are giving our children as a generation is a shorter lifespan than us. And it's it's just bonkers and nothing's being done. And it's like, you know, I spent five years learning algebra at school. I've never used algebra before, but I eat three times a day. Why are we not teaching kids about food? It's just mental. See, it, it, this is really fascinating. Like, because the whole, and, and I, I, when people come on, I, talk, I, I start talking about the education system, and I, and I don't want it to sound like I just I bad mouth it, and I think it's th- you know, but I do, I do really feel that it's just an archaic way. One, the way we teach mm. actually. But even down to the lessons that we tell, of course we've got to have the fundamentals of, yeah. of maths and English. I understand that. But life skills, like we're perfect example. When we homeschooled, yeah. I'd done the first lockdown and Kelly done the second. When they went back after the second lockdown, Kelly as a solicitor, she was there was whiteboards, there was structure, that yeah. maths, English, everything. They went back, got a letter from the school going, Oh, they really come on really well and I'm not not so much when not, when, not <laughs> when I done, but they they did make some keftedis. Mm. I did teach them how to bake bread with me. Yeah, we did, nice. you know, and we got involved. We done some life skills, and that, and that is f- for me personally. I guess it's as much value as it is the other side of it. Of course, they've got to have that academic side, but I'm why can't it be both though? And this is what yeah, we teach: is yeah. that you know, you, I'm not massively academic. I didn't. I did all right at school. Mm but I didn't really give it the attention I needed because I don't learn from people standing and talking to me. But if mm. you, you know, what we try and promote within the kids is, okay, so if there's 200 grams of flour, if you divide that by two, how many grams of flour do you have? We talk about, so you can talk about mass when you're talking about ingredients and weighing stuff mm. out. You can talk about science. Okay, so this is how yeast works. You mentioned bread, so I'm using that as an example, yeah. but yeast, you know, breathes out carbon dioxide, which is make, what makes the bread rise. Mm. So you can learn science and stuff by being practical. And I think, mate, I, I said, I, I'm a, I don't want to state the education system at all. I just think it's a, a complete government letdown in that one of the fundamental things, probably ahead of maths, English and science, should be food. Mm. Because actually a better um, you know, better nutrition will lead to, to better results in school because you, you retain more information. You, you're, you know, you're, more, um, you're more engaged with school because mm. you, you've eaten better. Um, there's so many studies around it and it's just not being looked at at all and it is on you know it's on cage key stage two so our, our program we typically deal with sort of year five year six children in primary schools and you know it is on key stage five and two uh, key stage two but teachers don't have the expertise to talk about food they do it from a theory basis as opposed to what we do is we go in there we our chef goes in there sets up all the tables they don't have to have any equipment we've got it all and we just give them practical cooking lessons and the, the, the bonus as well to that, again, I, I guess the full circle, I, I guess part of your vision is that, that you've got these chefs going in there as well and actually inspiring people to actually get into the, mm. to the like, like Jamie Oliver did with you and, and, and inspire you to go, actually cooking's quite cool, yeah. to have someone go in and get involved in stuff like that and go, actually, this is a really cool and, and open the doors to to the hospitality yeah. industry and encourage more young people to get into that, I guess. But the hospitality sector is so diverse, right? If you want to be an accountant, you can be an accountant in hospitality. If you want to do marketing, you can do marketing in hospitality. Mm. It's the third largest employer by sector in the UK. But yet, during coronavirus, they got te- they got um, deemed as non, non-skilled non workers. You know, and it's, it's yeah. they're just kind of being thrown under the bus by the government. Very little support from government. 
currently, you know, you've got not only employment stuff, but business rates, um, utility costs going up. Mm. It's very, very hard to make money in the restaurant now. And, and the people that are doing it are making, they're doing it because they love it. So, you know, I really want to support people that love what they do. And, and it just so happens that that's in hospitality what I love. But, um, you know, it's the government can't do everything for everyone. I'm well aware of that. So that's why I thought, well, I'll try and do my own little thing. So we don't get any government funding. We've never gone for government funding. A lot of our, so the kind of the piece where it all works together, the bit of the jigsaw is that our business club members mm. support our foundation. So a lot of our business club members sponsor a local primary school where their kid goes to school or where's their office. Um, so it's great for their CSR. So, you know, a lot of our funding has come from the business community, from the events that we put on, that then 100% of that goes back into into the community. So it's um, this kind of nice little ecosystem we're building. And is that something that, have, have you got plans to replicate that elsewhere? Or do you think there's, the, is there a vision to take Table Talk National? Or yeah, I mean do you we think we there's we a scope to do that? Yeah, we've built it in a way that That's we can good. replicate it. You know, so one of my key skills at WPA is recruiting franchise owners. Mm. That's what I do for a job. Um, you know, for part half of my job. So we can recruit people to do that. I, I'm pretty okay with replicating a business model. It's kind of mm. what I do. But also, I, you know, I, I'm a massive believer. I think Sussex is the best county. So I want to showcase Sussex. But actually, if you go to Kent, there'll be someone like me in Kent that thinks Kent's the best county. So mm. we need to kind of tap into that. But at the moment, it's still 100% focused on Sussex. You know, we're probably 10% of where we want to be. Um, which is scary because it's you know I was at the Best of British one of Ryan's events last yeah, week yeah. and I was sat next to um, one of the ladies from Chestnut Treehouse and she was like oh you guys are bloody everywhere at the moment and that was a real testament to there's just Tom and I just kind of working our nuts mm. off just to kind of make it work and we've had similar feedback from Rocking Horse mm. like how do you guys get everywhere and it's gone well you know there's three of us and it's we're just kind of yeah head down but that back to that work ethic you mentioned mm. I guess right from from the start, and how many? Uh, talk to me about the difference. Is there many differences? I asked Ryan this very similar actually between running a charity and a, and a business. No, and it's actually a piece of advice that Ryan gave me um, right at the start, which is, you know, I've, I've had no experience in the charity sector at all. Yeah. But Ryan just turned around and said, "Look, if you run a good business, treat your charity as a business. If you run it properly, then it will be a good charity." So there, there's very little. Yes, the charity commission are there to regulate us. You know, I run a regulated in, uh, business with WPA, it's financial yeah, services. The charity commission are a whole different beast. Um, you know, it is hard to get the charitable status. You have to have a really clear purpose, a clear understanding of what you want to achieve. Mm. But yeah, if you run it like a good business, um, we're very fortunate. The same as Focus Foundation to a certain degree, our business club pays all the costs of the charity. So 100% of the money the charity raises goes towards the cause, mm. which is really lucky. So that whole ecosystem, that whether it stays that way forever, I don't know, because as we scale up, we're going to need to recruit staff and that kind of thing. But um, at the moment, you know, if we can get the business club always funding the cost for the foundation, mm. that's kind of where we want to be. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. A, couple, a couple of bits I want to just sort of track back a little bit as we're talking about education and stuff like that. Um, and, and you mentioned right at the start of the conversation, you, you just mentioned uh, about, obviously you chose the route not to go to university and stuff mm. like that. How, what was your thought process on the kids as, as your kids as they grow up and uh, around education in, in regards to university and stuff like that? Like mm. you said, uh, our generation a little bit, obviously I'm a little bit older than you, 
little spider got <laughs> oh hell <laughs> I got me yeah, that's why I wear uh, me cap anyway but you go <laughs> moving on we um but like you know go to university and that was a sort of narrative around there like talk to me about your kids like would, hospi- would you like them to go into hospitality would you obviously generally just want our kids to be happy I'll get that mm. but just talk to me a little bit about that like what's your feeling on the kids as they grow up and Mate, that's a big question. Um, yeah. You know, ideally I want Billy to play rugby for England and Ivy <laughs> to, to be in a West End. But um, no, two things I absolutely love. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, it, I have this conversation a lot about private school. You know, yeah. would you send your kids to private school? And I'm not so sure I would. I think I didn't go to private school, never had the opportunity to go to private school, mm. and I've turned out all right. Now, I know that if you are excellent at sport, you know, the best way to play rugby for England or cricket for England is to go to private school. Mm. And you'll get a scholarship for that. Um, yeah, I think ultimately we want to give them. I see my job and our job as parents, one of Grace's job, is to give our kids as many opportunities as we can. Mm. So, you know, Billy does football, rugby, tennis, cricket, swimming. You know, he's just finding a bit of a love for sort of musical theatre. So, we mm. took him up to see Greece the other week. Um, so, if there's an opportunity, we'll, we'll give him that. So, I think I'll be quite a pushy dad in terms of I think you need that. Um, so within rugby, my dad was quite pushy because he was a coach and he would make me go training twice a week and then yeah. uh, and then play on Saturday. And I think sometimes you need that. I think I'm not the kind of parent, oh, they're fine their own way. I think sometimes kids do need a bit of a, a push and a bit mm. of a steer. Um, but I don't know. It depends on what they are. If they're struggling academically, then yeah, maybe private school is an option. We're fortunate we could, we could, we could do that. Do but that, yeah. it's not going to be a default. I want them to kind of do... I don't know. It's a difficult question, mate, because yeah. until they're a bit older, they're only six and... Yeah, yeah, two yeah. now but I think just giving them opportunities now and taking them places we like to travel so taking mm. them places and showing them different cultures and stuff will make them a, a rounder a, yeah. a more round person and then they'll make their own way and we'll try and support them as best we can mm. um, I think it's, it's only, uh, one of the main reasons because I, I, I look at it for, for me university I never went to university mm. but I know Kelly did and I obviously went to visit Kelly at university so I sort of got that little bit of yeah. a taste for, I guess but I think it, if they come to me and they want to go, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor, I want to f- yeah. something along them lines where you need to you go need to school. To go to. But if not, like just for me, potentially, I'd much rather them go, go you know what? Yeah, go, get out there and or travel at least. Yeah. Go and see the world, go and do, have them opportunities and just yeah. and make you, because they're, they're the things potentially, you know, because that narrative of the education system and going through those that process mm. just to get oh, I don't know if I but a lot of, again I think a lot of that comes down to education in terms of we're not great at promoting careers in mm. school yeah you absolutely. know it's it's so a lot of my friends went to university because they didn't know what they wanted to do yeah. um but why not bring you know apprenticeships seem to have died a de- bit of a death at the moment mm. so you know apprenticeships are a great way to get into to go out and work you know mm. I, I was over the mindset of just go out and work I think you can learn give me three years experience over three years of university any day of the week so go and work and earn and and earn and learn on the job of course there's certain things where you need to go to university for if you're a doctor or a lawyer those kind of things but going to university because you just want to you don't know what you want to do with your life i think go out and say go out and work if you don't like something try something else go out and i think the debt now is so scary around universities it's crazy that's what i mean you're you're better off rather than go i'm going to start this business dad and if that fails then yeah all right you've lost a few quid but but you mentioned that travel is so important, I think. Yeah. Um, go out and meet, just find out what you are, 
as a person. But mm. yeah, it's it's a it's a tough question. I'm not the biggest fan of of university unless you have to. Mm. But then I'm not really one to talk. I bet if you spoke to people that went to university, they would love it. And yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those things, and it's my personal view. Yeah, I'm of course. And I think uh, so much I've taken out of what you you said today, uh, a lot around the fact of being a good communicator. Like yeah. Communication is such a key, whether it be in the kitchen where you were, whether it be within your business and being out and able to have a conversation with people at a networking event, mm. whatever that looks like. That th- Those uh, key skills that are mm. so relatable to everything you do in life and if mm. and that's how we progress and succeed, if we can be good communicators is something yeah. that is so, so important. I think you've been, I said it earlier, but being authentic to yourself. You know, I'm not always the best communicator so you know i sometimes keep my feelings in or if i'm stressed you know i I don't necessarily give it so john i mentioned earlier he works with me he's very detailed process dread process led so you know if i give him a task if i don't explain it well enough he'll keep questioning me about it so i need to learn myself to actually be better at that side of things to make sure he understands it so he can do it and that's not his fault it's my fault and it's um but i'm always kind of you work on that, don't you? You, you try and learn and you, you work on that. You try and understand how other people work. But mm. I think ultimately, if you're just a good person, I like to think, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person. I try and, you know, I have quite high high morals. Um, I think if you're just a good person, that will get you a long way in life anyway. So, yeah. yeah. 100%. I, we, we just had our kids, it's got their sorry, seven, the twins, but we just had, had their parents' evening. You go in and speak to that. <laughs> it's one of it. Like for me, we're actually at that age, all I, all I want to know is are they kind? Yeah. Are they good people? Yeah. The other stuff, don't get me wrong. Of course, I hope that they're doing okay. And they are doing okay, you know. But even even now at seven, there's still that thing where like, Sienna's really academic. She's like mm. Kelly. So she picks up a book and she wants to read and she's doing mm. it and she's sort of excelling, doing really well. Whereas Luca, they sort of scored, mentioned, oh, he's you know, a little bit behind on that or he's doing okay. And he's, but I'm like, again back to that educational thing like he, he maybe just engages in a different way like yeah, I yeah. potentially I did and I'm like at seven they still get tested and stuff. I'm like mm, I don't like he, he just and he, he but his emotional intelligence is off the charts mm. like he just for, I can't I can't get my head around out as a young young lad he's just so empathetic and he's just mm. got this uh, emotional awareness that's, that's amazing I think like that is a great skill to have yeah. at a young age so definitely I, um, at this age, as long as they're kind, they're good people. Like I said, mm. for me, that will get get you so far. It's down to us, though, isn't it? It's down to us as parents yeah. to, to teach kids about, you know, what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. Um, how can you help people? All this kind of thing yeah. is is that's down to us to teach us. It's, that's our job as parents yeah. to pass that on. And yeah, so I think you're, I'm with you, mate. Is yeah. that if you can pass that on, then the rest I think will follow. Um, yeah. I think Jack. Jack the lad said he was on the podcast and he, he said a really brilliant thing. He said, like, I'd much rather than them getting an A star that I found out that there was someone being bullied and they went over and put their arm around them and said, are you okay? And, and mm. looked after someone and got an A yeah. star. Like that, that's a measure of a good person. In, in reality, what what do grades even do? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? It does it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to go down that rabbit. No, no. We, we could. We, um, we could. It could be a whole other podcast. We, but yeah. we could go in. But yeah. Well, look, we, we've alluded to it for a little bit throughout, mm. and I do just want to finish up before like the, the whole work-life balance thing. I know we sort yeah. of touched on different parts of it, and and throughout the whole conversation, really. But but 
and, and you, I, I get the feeling you've got such a strong work ethic and you are, you know, what you've achieved in such a short space of time with Table Talk is phenomenal. Um, and obviously that does come maybe potentially with sacrifices with that work-life balance mm. as you sort of alluded to. But do, do, do you feel you've got, got it? Right, or do you? Are you? I know you said you're sort of working on it, and just talk to me a little bit about about it. About that. I, I think there's times I get it right, there's times I get it wrong, mm. and I think you, you just need to keep learning. And th- there's times when realistically you, you just have to be away from home, you have to be doing stuff. Mm. Um, again, Grace is brilliant. You know, been together a long, long time. She understands that, and she understands um, that, especially with you know, we are still on basic growing a business again so you have to be out and be active so it's going to be busy for the next few years with, with social events and networking events and you know we get asked what's to do a, a lot sorry of I just yeah. want to interject quickly there just what, what's her because t- obviously then was there part of you, you, you've grown WPA to the state mm. you've financially done, done well and etc and then and then almost even from her view has she then, then gone oh, now you've started this and you're going to go again yeah. and start <laughs> yeah. when are you going to have a break there was very much like that it was at the start of like why are you doing this you don't need to do this yeah. like, I've not earned a penny from Table Talk and yeah, actually yeah, yeah. you know I've invested quite a lot of money to get up and running and, and yeah. all the design all the stuff that comes running business so why are you doing it you, why, why are you doing it and it comes back to what what we were talking about earlier in terms of the honest answer is I don't know I want to I want to push myself I want to challenge myself I want to do something that's good for the community mm. I want to do something where in 20 years time my kids can look back and say yeah dad started that mm-hmm. um, so she can come around and, and as as we've got better results and better feedback from the schools and you start to see you know the feedback come in that's when it really hits home and, and she's definitely on board with it you know she's 100% mm. on board with it but there was that kind of start in the early years in the in the early days sorry where it's like, why are you doing this to yourself you can you can relax you can chill you, you've earned the right to, to relax a little mm. bit um, we can, but it's just not in my nature. Mm-hmm. And instead of going off and setting up a for-profit business, I, I just wanted to do something where setting up a business, but doing it with a, with a bigger purpose. And that's what keeps me driving. I was speaking to Gavin Willis about this last week, actually, mm-hmm. about um, you know the work he does at Search Seven and having that purpose. It kept him going through COVID, and mm-hmm. it really does. It, it keeps you going. It's your yin to yang. So the work stuff it can be quite high stress. Travel a lot. Um, Whereas the charity stuff is is more local, you can see the results, you know, and, and you start to see it. Uh, we had some feedback in from one of the schools, and you know, I sat there and sort of had a tear in my eye because you see, you know, the kids haven't had that, that much fun in the school day since learning about Henry VIII chopping off, you know, the, his <laughs> wife's heads <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, the feedback you get is amazing. I remember the first ever session we did with Tabletop Foundation in school. I shared it on my Facebook. Said, "Hey, look at this. This is what we're doing with the charity." And one of my friends messaged me saying, "Is this your charity, Dan?" I said, "Yeah. Why?" Well, my niece was in that class. She had the best ever day she had at school. So okay. that that kind of all makes it um, all makes it worthwhile. And mm-hmm. as as we get more established and as we start to grow, it's going through that phase again now. I think we we definitely while we've been fundraising for Plumpton, mm-hmm. which is a huge amount of money in a very short amount of time, we we've been holding back on scaling up, holding mm-hmm. back on getting extra resources and help and and team and the trustees are great and you know but they're all business owners as well so they've got their busy lifestyles so we're at a point now where we fundraise we've got enough money pretty much for Plumpton which is great so now we need to sort of scale up and bring in some help which will then again relieve the work pressure Mm. Um, but yeah to come back to your original question no I don't think I've got it right I'm definitely better than what I was I'm way more aware of it now Um, so I turn down more invites than I go to now 
And if I do go to a lot of events, as we said before, I don't tend to drink that much anymore. Because um, mm. I want to be home for kids' bedtimes or bath times or, you know. Prioritising, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and actually, if I didn't go to an event, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If I if I turn down an invite to something, I, I the days of having FOMO have gone now. I just Absolutely. kind of, I pick and choose the stuff I want to go to. I'm in a fortunate position to do that. Mm. Um, more often than not, I'll pick and choose to go to stuff with, with people that I love, um, like yourself. <laughs> love that. Mate, brilliant. Um, look, before we get into our quick fire questions, mm. um, tell me what, what does the future hold for you? <coughs> I think it's probably threefold. Um, with you know family first and foremost, I want to spend more time with, with my family, my parents, kids, that kind of thing. It's massively important. WPA with Chris on board, um, we want to keep pushing forward. We've got a couple of opportunities coming up in the next couple of years to grow and really develop that which is exciting and that's you know the bread and butter that's what you know pays for everything that's gives us the lifestyle we've got and then the foundation and and tables business club you know we want to keep growing that the feedback we get from our members from our events we run mm. is, is amazing so yeah we, we can take it to a different count if we want but we want to make sure the model is 100 percent right here in sussex first so we've probably got mm. another year or two before we do that I said earlier we're about 10 percent where we want to be but mm. You know, we have got big goals and big ambitions because if not, what's the point in doing it? Um, So, yeah, I think it's just kind of working on those three. And I would like to get into sort of mentoring others. I think giving back that way is I'm not an expert in a lot of things, but there's a few things that I think I'm all right at, which I can share advice to. So, Just listen, like like I said, we've known each other for a while, but to have such an in-depth conversation and listen to what you have achieved and just your mindset around certain things like <laughs> for, for me as one of the man I've taken from the episode I'm sure a lot of listeners will will do the same and I can see you as a brilliant mentor for people you know like mm. to, to to reach out and speak to you because yeah I'm just going from actually for me listening to the skills you've taken from growing WPA and then what you've done and gone and achieved in such a short space of time is, is just mind blowing like mm. it's, it's, it's phenomenal mate so no, mate, fair play, fair play. Thank you. Awesome. Well, look, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna finish with our quick fire questions. Cool. Let's do um, Give me one piece of advice that you give to your eighteen year old self. So, spoiler alert: Sam sends these questions in advance, and it was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was something I had to really think about because I didn't want to say anything crappy or anything like that. But I think what I've learned on my journey is just the more authentic you are, and I've said it a few times, but the more authentic you are, and just be true to yourself. So mm. don't be afraid to stand up and, and question if someone says something, even if it's someone you respect. Mm. And actually by questioning it and saying, no, I don't agree with that, you'll get more respect back. So mm. I think just being yourself um, is is really quite key. Obviously, work hard. That's what I'm going to teach my kids. Yeah, I think yeah. it's be a nice person and work hard. I think that's kind of a work ethic thing because I think this generation coming up are... You know they're they're lucky to have so much stuff available to them, but yeah. I think fundamentally the ones that will stick out are the ones that put the graft in still. Yeah. Uh, a bit old school on that, but yeah, authentic and work hard. Yeah. That wasn't really quick that. fire, was it? No, I love that. Though. <laughs> I love that, and I love the fact actually that I just want to take that the whole curiosity thing and being because I even now as a confident guy at forty three, still sometimes you sit down that table and 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 sometimes still afraid to put your hand up and go and question that, and I think that's such a valuable thing because it doesn't matter it's your opinion at the end of the day mm. as long as you, you if you don't agree with what someone's saying yeah. you don't I've always had that I've always got that impression from you like, no ma- like, 
such a compliment bloke. What a table I've sat around. You, you are inquisitive and you are, you're not afraid yeah. to, to put, and that's something, it's, uh, it's a great quality to have, I think. Who's inspired you in your career and why? Um, I think Jamie Oliver was the first one that kind of was a catalyst to everything. And we're fortunate now with the charity, we're, we're having quite a lot of conversations with Jamie Oliver and his, his company mm-hmm. um, and the foundation stuff that they do. So he, I think I look back and he was the catalyst because I was just cooking at home. He came on telly, made it cool, you know, pucker, and it made <laughs> yeah. it cool. And then from there, became a chef, learned a lot of skills that I'd taken into business. So I think definitely Jamie Oliver. Um, but as we said earlier, the people around me, like, mm. you know, yourself, the, the trustees that I've got, the mentors that I've had over the years, people like Poisey, mm. people that, you know, Chris Goodman, that, that I've sp- I don't know Chris hugely well, but I know him well enough to be able to say, Chris, can we go for lunch and can I pick your brains? And, you know, spending mm. time with anyone like that will inspire you. So yeah. I think that's really important. Can you recommend a business book or podcast to our listeners that has had an influence on you? Mm. Um, it's a difficult one because, to be honest with you, um, apart from this podcast, which I love, <laughs> I listen to podcasts as, as to switch off. So yeah. when I walk the dog and stuff like that. So I tend to listen to ones that I find like Peter Crouch podcast. So the one I've actually just got into is uh, one called The Eventful Entrepreneur, which is a guy called Roger Woodall to Dodge. He <laughs> He's the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, so I'm a rugby fan. Yeah. But he is—he runs some amazing events, yeah. and he's got some brilliant stories. He's got some great guests. So, like his second guest was um, Barry Hearn, yeah. James Haskell. Like he's had some amazing, amazing entrepreneurs on there, and he's a bit—he's very similar to me. So, um, I skipped a part of my life where I did nightclub promotion, and that's how he started. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's a really good one. I find that the stories that he tells are brilliant, and he's just—he's a bit like you, a bit of a geezer, and he's got some brilliant stories to tell. So, I like that one, but. Sorry, see, I've listened to, but I say I don't tend to listen to those now because I like yeah. to chill out and listen to podcasts. He come on the twenty four hour podcast, Roger Woodall. Oh, did he? Yeah. So you know what? I know when you just follow someone. Yeah. I followed him on LinkedIn, and I just love what he's about. Yeah, he's brilliant. Everything he said, and I just reached out to him, and he straight away come back. Went yeah, and so he was like episode three of the twenty. So I'm releasing it in a couple of weeks' time. But oh, I need to get it was, it yeah. was brilliant. Like it was so fascinating because he is like form of sevens eventful yeah. entrepreneur like he, that podcast he, he, and he's seen like the top 0.5 percent of podcasts because he's had some amazing yeah, yeah, guests. Harry Redknapp, like yeah. he's had some amazing guests yeah. that have brilliant stories some big entrepreneurs yeah um but yeah That's he's very similar one. so you know nightclub promotion yeah. rugby um, yeah, yeah. business like yeah, yeah. I, I just i kind of it's what you know when you connect to something yeah, i think yeah. that's one that i've really i love that got love into that. that cool right and last one your one rule for living a fulfilled life? Uh, be authentic. The smile, learn. Um, I, I, a story that I want to tell you, just when I was in Florida in March with the family, it turned out one of my biggest clients was out there at the same time, so we went for a round of golf. This guy's a phenomenally successful guy, so he's on the Sunday Times Rich List, yeah. built up a, a broken business in London from scratch at a very young age. And I was questioning him, a lot of the questions you asked me today, like, what do you do about private education? How do you not spoil your kids when you can, technically, mm-hmm. if you want to? But he just, so I was questioning about how do you build a business in London in the 80s in that sort of industry where it was all about partying and boozing. And it, I just remember he turned around to him and said, look, I didn't get involved with any of that. I only laugh at jokes that I find funny from people that I want to spend time with. And it's kind of like, I, I had to think about it for a while. I was like, I only laugh at jokes that I find funny. And then you kind of put it back into your own perspective and think, well, you, how many events have we been to where you're spending time with people you don't really want to spend time with? You're laughing at stuff that you don't find funny. And I just thought, that's just it. Like, just just be true to yourself. Spend time with the people you want to spend time with. 
and and just smile and learn and always be inquisitive absolutely love that what mate what a brilliant way to finish i can't I listen can't thank you enough for coming on and, and chatting to me so openly honestly and uh, fascinating like i said it's just been it's been so inspiring just watching your journey since the first time i met you really over the last sort of 10 years and mm. just watch what you've done and, and what you've achieved and it's, it's I, I really wish you continued success with not only the business but the foundation is amazing mate it really is and mm. you're really making a huge difference for something that's, that's really needed so um fair play to you for taking on that that, that challenge and and uh, again i wish you continued success with that mate so it's been me. awesome buddy no thanks for your time mate really appreciate mate. it and uh, yeah legend and that as they say is a wrap I believe every business owner has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films.